was my friend. The Death Star will be completed on schedule. You've done well, Lord Vader. And now I sense you wish to continue your search for young Skywalker. Yes, my master. Patience, my friend. In time, he will seek you out. And when he does, you must bring him before me. He has grown strong. Only together can we turn him to the dark side of the Force. As you wish. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. And here we go. <laughs> hey, folks, welcome back to Podcast Part 3, the Part 3 Podcast. I am Sam. And I'm Will. And we've arrived. We've arrived at the three-part season finale of Podcast Part 3. It's time to talk about Star Wars Episode 6? <laughs> Return of the Jedi, the third Star Wars movie made, the final chapter in the first of what would be three trilogies, and the sixth movie in the series, if you go uh, in uh, canonical, chronological order. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, boy. I mean, this is and if, it. And if, and if that's any indicator, this is going to be... Just th this episode will be the cleanest of what is going to be the hottest of hot messes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is it. This is the the trilogy of trilogies. I mean, can you think of any other movies that are um, that are that are franchises that have three trilogies compacted into them like this? No, I mean, there's certainly plenty of franchises that franchises that have nine movies, but none of them that are like three distinct trilogies three set and like made at three different segments not intended necessarily to be made you know as nine movies right. they weren't all it wasn't all planned out in advance and uh yeah i mean i can think of you know yeah and uh, honestly uh, apart from uh maybe a couple other examples i can't think of a trilogy of movies more famous than star wars yeah i mean like and it all and the other movies that are famous because of being trilogies owe at least most of them owe some sort of debt to Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for that matter, I'd say the other two most famous like three movie trilogies, like Godfather and Lord of the Rings, are also both based on books. They're, they right. come from, the majority of those movies come from source material. Yeah, and the Godfather's also that has you know the famous isn't wasn't meant to be a trilogy. It got a third part, <laughs> and that's you know, you know that that third part is the punchline of third movies not being as good. <laughs> yeah, and we'll get there eventually too. Oh yes, no, and and Godfather three is a masterpiece compared to some movies we've watched and will watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah mark my words. Yeah. <laughs> but today. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna insult everyone by going into the background of Star Wars. Star Wars is just it. It much like like Frankenstein's monster. It just exists. It's <laughs> just out there. It's it, like the Force itself. It surrounds us and it <laughs> penetrates us and it binds society together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But once upon a time, it was just three. It was it was a little independently financed sci-fi fantasy that could <laughs> yeah i mean and and you know for the longest time it wasn't an empire it was just three movies and uh some ancillary material some two really bad cartoons two made for tv movies and a terrible holiday special that was kind of a it. shit ton of toys and a lot of toys yeah uh that was kind of it you know? Yeah, well, well, you know how nowadays, if a director makes like a couple of really successful like indie movies, they get handed a Star Wars feature. Right. That's what happened to George Lucas. Only in 1976 or 77, they didn't have Star Wars, so he had to create it himself. And yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of retreading old ground that a million other podcasts have have gone into depth and 
documentaries and such, but the, the marketing and uh, the, you know, the merchandise bonanza that Star Wars created uh, was, uh, you know, insane and, and nuts to think about. And, you know, you can trace a direct line from Star Wars to He-Man to G.I. Joe to Transformers. Like, all of that comes from Star Wars, too. Yeah. Other franchises existed before it, and, you know, Star Trek never had, a, like, never had, like, toys and merchandise the same way. Planet of the Apes did, but Planet of the Apes never got to that level. I think Star Wars, honestly, Fox picked up Star Wars because they were like, we want to get another franchise like Planet of the Apes that we can make a buck off of and make toys that are crazier than just a lot of, you know, sort of well-dressed apes in narrow jackets. <laughs> but it is like, I, I think for like, it's again, and these movies are beyond just movies. It is a, it is a franchise. It is a brand. And George Lucas himself has ascended beyond being a director or a writer or even like a punchline on a certain <laughs> level. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, especially now that he's sort of, not directly involved he's just receded into the background and his name has become a brand but i think it's you have to go back and remember that he was a guy that had made like one really low budget very like atmospheric sci-fi psychological thriller one coming of age period movie and he put it all on the line for star wars yeah and no one believed in that movie fox didn't believe in it uh and they just let him have like the toy rights and the yeah. rights to the franchise. He <laughs> never had to work in the studio system again. It was a massive gamble. And, you know, it, it nothing has ever paid off quite like that. No, and nothing ever will again. I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those, those stories that you, you hear and it, it, Hollywood will never let it happen again. Every time something that is like Star Wars or that somebody thinks will be like Star Wars, they're going, they bottle up the mar merchandise rights and maybe the creator gets something, maybe, but not, you know, most likely no. They're going to try and take everything, even if it isn't a big, even if it doesn't become a Star Wars sized hit. Right. You know, but you, you all, you never know. It's like, it's like when you play fantasy sports and you stash a bunch of guys on your bench because you never know who's going to be a breakout star. George Lucas, and, you know, we'll certainly be talking about this next week with Revenge of the Sith, but George Lucas has his shortcomings as a filmmaker and <laughs> as a writer. But you got to credit, he was so smart and lucky to, uh, from like a business sense when he was. Right place, right time, right instance. I mean, you want to credit him as like a genius in a way. Um, but, I, but I really do think so much of his luck is so much of it is luck. Yeah. You know? A lot of it is luck. He, I will say to his credit, he always surrounded himself with like some of the most talented, like artists and technical, like effects people in the business. He gave them room to innovate. No. I think, you know, he you know, maybe at his peril was sort of a real pioneer of visual effects. He took the success of Star Wars and built THX and Skywalker Sound and Industrial Light and Magic and LucasArts, RIP. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, he, like, he really, like, his, I think his contributions to, like, the blockbuster Hollywood film industry, I think they're, they're one of those things that, in hindsight, it's hard to really measure them. Yeah, and, and these three movies are just so... Like, be, just were a lightning rod for popular culture in such a way that so much of Hollywood, like, was just like, we are going to follow the Star Wars template. We are going to take all the lessons that George Lucas learned from from George Campbell, uh, Joseph Campbell, Bruce Campbell, Bruce Campbell, from Joseph Campbell, and we are going to to stick it in our movies. And almost all the Star Wars knockoffs, especially in the eighties didn't work <laughs> no the, the ones that worked were the ones that were like we're indiana jones like let's knock right. off a different type a of adventure cereal <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's you know they it wasn't until i think visual effects really caught up uh with storytelling that you got franchises that rivaled star wars when you got harry potter and lord of the rings and the marvel movies yeah. you know because these movies just compared to you compare Return of the Jedi's visual effects to everything else that was done in 1982, 1983, and it blows them away. 
Yeah, I mean, outside of um, outside of like something like Blade Runner, you know, it's like and and like the Alien movies, it's just yeah, and like the the final space battle in this in Return of the Jedi is one of the most incredible things ever put to film on a visual effects level. Um, It just it's it's astonishing some of the shit they got they they were able to do for sheer volume of just practical effects in motion while still being coherent again coherent visual effects is something we'll talk about with the prequels i think <laughs> yeah but yeah no i would i mean i think from a visual standpoint this is a bigger achievement than blade runner or a- the alien movies just in terms of uh just you have practical effects and optical effects and costumes and puppetry. It's yeah. it's pretty much everything that they developed for the first two movies and other movies in subsequent years, and just all of it combined to make a really, really good, if perhaps imperfect, conclusion to the Star Wars trilogy. I Like I said this last week, Sam... I didn't realize until, well, actually until really the special editions were coming out of these movies, I didn't realize that there was any sort of sentiment uh, against Return of the Jedi in any way, like critical sentiment. I remember reading a re- like the lo- review in the local Salt Lake paper of the Return of the Jedi special edition when it came out saying like, this is really the nadir of Lucas. This shows like that Lucas's interests were in commercialism and stuff. And I was like, I never really thought of it that way. I never even occurred no. to me. Like, let's take the thing that people criticize the most in terms of this being the most commercial of the original. Let's take the Ewoks. <laughs> let's let's just let's just start let's start with the the furry little elephants in the room. There is never a point in this movie where where it stops asking you to take these Ewoks seriously. Right. They are always they play it completely straight. There's a little incredulity. Han Solo has a few quips when they first show up. They're kind of like, "What the? What are the? What, what did you?" Yeah, yeah. But no, the, the Ewoks are are played completely straight. They're rarely played for awe, cute factor. Yeah, I mean, well, and sometimes they, I mean, they do do like silly things, like the one yeah. guy, like the one Ewok who steals the speeder when they're trying to sneak into the the. Um, the shield generator thing. Uh, yeah, they're they're. I describe them as they're plucky. They yeah. have like a plucky energy. That's the humor is played for the when they're when they're they're uh, out, like taken on the much more out. They're outmatched by the empire. Right. But never at any point is it like do you get Marvel Cinematic Universe esque quips about them? I I counted one in the whole movie, and that's a uh, short helps better than no help at all, Chewie. <laughs> Or, or, and you don't have that thing like the Gungans in episode one where they're doing like silly, you know, pratfalls and, you know, silent film gags through the no, whole thing. No, they, there's like one or two, like, I think Wicket, who's meant to, I think meant, if I, if, if I recall correctly from, uh, the Caravan of Courage and the Battle for Endor, he's a kid, like, he's a yeah. little kid, Ewok. Yeah. He has a few, like, moments where he has some pratfalls and it's a little silly, but it's like, it's one or two moments, and they come in the middle of these battle sequences where Ewoks are straight up getting killed. Yeah, and they 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 linger on it too. It's not like it's it's you know sort of in the background. It's like there's that one Ewok where there's like the ATST blows up something, and the Ewok dies, and the other Ewok like mourns for him, or or the one on the hang glider that crashes and then gets stepped on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it, then and that's the other thing. You're never asked to believe that these. Ewoks can really like take on and out like face to face defeat the Empire. Yeah. It's that they have like a tactical advantage because they have traps and they know the forest. And, you know, there's that mo there's a turning point where they sort of rally behind Chewbacca when he takes over the, the chicken walker. But uh yeah. No, they look like teddy bears, yes, but they are never treated as something overly cute or overly silly. And I think yeah. that's just, I, they, they fit right into Star Wars to me because Star Wars has always had just weird aliens showing up and no one really bats an eye about it. And, but I think part of that, and is kind of what I was trying to get at last week, is that we grew up in a time when this was it. This was it. This was all we had of Star Wars. And we didn't have the years in between uh 
you know, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. We didn't have the the span of time to like exp- to have any expectations. It was this is Star Wars. It's these three movies. This is the story, and we didn't have any like preconceived notions of what was going to happen next. Exactly. You yeah. Know? I I can't in in good conscience like pretend I'm ever going to be objective about Return of the Jedi. Yeah. yeah. It's, I love it. I Star Wars. The Star Wars original trilogy, probably my favorite movies. It's hard to watch one and not want to watch the other two. They filled me with so many different emotions, joy and love and frustration and sadness. <laughs> and it's, it is an emotionally satisfying ending. If you watch yeah. Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, they feel complete. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's like a whole, you, you get a whole story. It's, it's... Yeah, I don't. I don't really know how better to describe it. And and that ending, the climax of this movie is just spectacular. Like it is just yeah. so like propulsive and and just the intercutting is so fun and like just they who the editors just know exactly when to jump out of that the space battle, when to jump to the the lightsaber duel, when to jump to the battle on Endor. Like they just it's like yeah. so. You have three. Crisp. You have three parallel plots, sort of all converged around the second Death Star, and they all have three very different tones. Yeah, like you have a space battle, kind of one of the last space battles you you get in Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, there's you get a couple in the prequels, but there really aren't any in the the sequel movies. No, like a real I... like classic dogfight. Yeah, I mean, you get you get kind of like a hint of it at the beginning of. Um of the last Jedi, but really the space battles in the, in the sequel trilogy, not so much. You get a big, a big one in rogue one, but like, but that one is just, honestly, it's still not as good as, as the one in, in 83. No, because that one, the the one in rogue one is, is playing the hits. Well, and I mean, it's cool. Like it's, it's fun, but it's like, Part of it is that the rest of the movie is so unengaging. Yeah, don't time don't, you... don't think about Rogue One too hard, and you'll have a good time. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's... exactly. Um, but it, it, yeah, just but there's yeah, you're following three different plots, and it manages to stay coherent, and you just know exactly what's happening and where you are, and in relation to anything, and it's just so well constructed. And it and it brings back, it, like. Every character that's even remotely close to recurring at this point yeah. is involved. Yeah. Like, Lando is there. A- Admiral Piet is there. Yeah. Wedge is there. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it, it's... And you and the, the, the secondary characters they've introduced are, you know, they don't... They don't... They don't... Aren't introduced at the expense of our, like, core three or four main right. characters. Yeah. I, speaking, of course, of Admiral Akbar. Of course. Of course. One of the greatest... Uh, military minds of the uh, the New Republic. <laughs> Rest in peace. Last Jedi. Any other criticism is secondary to they killed Admiral Akbar. Fair enough. And like the the emotional stuff with Vader and Luke is also really satisfying. That all works really well in this movie. And I, I, if if I were going between. Empire and Return of the Jedi, that would be my concern, is that they couldn't stick the landing of that, you know, yeah. of the Vader-Luke stuff. Yeah. Um, the one thing I did notice this watch, which had never really occurred to me until until just this viewing, was Leia does not react very well at all to the fact that she learns that Darth Vader is her father. Because... <laughs> I mean, she's not really, it's not, she's not the main character. Like, I no, mean, I, I know, I, I know, but it's like a valid, level, but... it's a valid thing. She doesn't really, she never interacts with Vader in this movie, uh, right. as opposed to the, the first two movies. Her and Luke being brother and sister, it doesn't really add anything to no. the, to the saga, to the Skywalker saga. I mean, I, I guess the only thing it really does is it is it gives her it it closes the love triangle, it breaks the love triangle, so that it you don't have to deal with that. It's but I get, like... and again, maybe this is just because I know these <laughs> stories, and we had what twenty plus years of expanded universe where Han and Leia were married and had a couple of kids, uh, and were you know one of them still came, became a Sith Lord, but overall they <laughs> they were doing okay. Like I never 
apart from the the one big kiss in Empire, I never got the sense that she was she and Luke were a we're thing. Gonna, yeah, no, no. I, I mean I agree, but it just because she didn't have the chemistry with Luke that she did with Han. Yeah, you know she liked him because he was a scoundrel. <laughs> there weren't enough scoundrels in her life. No, no, probably all a bunch of like fuddy duddy, you know, bureaucrats. Jim, Jim, Jimmy Smiths. Yeah. <laughs> but it just uh, it just struck me this viewing. It's like wow, she didn't like she took that news pretty easily. I mean, and Leia's sort of like a a, a cool cute like you know cool as a. She's cucumber, pretty unflappable. But... She's also like she's had a rough like three days. She's in <laughs> at that point she's in. The second outfit that some aliens have forced her to put on—it's <laughs> admittedly a more dignified outfit than than what Jabba made her wear. But it still is like she she was fully clothed in like <laughs> like commando fatigues when she meets Wicket. By the time she's at the Ewok village, she has like a completely different outfit and a fully different hairstyle. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but yeah, I mean, and yeah, she's got a lot going on, and and she did just learn that she has a long lost brother, and that Darth Vader is her father. But she just her her reaction to it is very just like, yeah, I guess that tracks. <laughs> yeah, well, it's yeah. I mean, there was there's many stories about where they wanted to go with Return of the Jedi. There were a lot of right. darker versions of it. You know, did some where Lando didn't make it, some where Han didn't make it, right. some that. You know, yeah, the the versions where it you know feels a lot more like the sequel trilogy, where all your heroes are kind of sad and miserable at the end. <laughs> you know, so and like and obviously they teed up there is another, right in in Empire. So they had to do something with that, and I you know I I, I guess that was just the easiest way to go. It's it's very much like uh, Michael and Lori being siblings in Halloween. It right. it doesn't really add anything. But it like it, it it ties up some stuff in a bow, and and then you just sort of move on, right? And I mean, and you know, I, I'm being sort of glib about it, but it's also like you know, this is space opera, this is big emotions and big, you know, dramatic familial reveals are like part of the genre too. Like it's not, yeah. Um, this this movie isn't about Leia and Hans' are individual no. arcs. This movie is about uh, Luke. And try it, it. This is the movie, the character with the arc in this is Darth Vader, right? You know, this is yeah. this is the this is the redemption trilogy for Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. This is where yeah he becomes he he turns back to the light. And if you watch the special editions, which I did, just because I don't have the um, the despecialized edition in a digital format that I can watch in bed, so I just oh. watched what was on <laughs> Disney Plus. I watched the Disney Plus version. I think it's the first time I've seen this version yeah, which i think is the like the, the blu-ray version from yeah. a few years ago where you get uh the ewoks eyes blink and yeah, uh yeah. they 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 threw a few more cgi aliens into jabba's palace but it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's got a new no yeah no <laughs> which feels so weird it is like clearly comes out of nowhere it and maybe it's just because i know the movie so well the other way but uh, it's you don't need it it's fiddling no. for fiddling's sake yeah you know? it really is i i mean i hate the fine the the what they did to anakin's force ghost in this more than any other change in the entire trilogy it makes no sense <laughs> i think it kind of kills the emotion because i guarantee you half the audience when they see it this way laugh yeah because it's fucking Hayden Christensen looking like he did in the prequels. Luke yeah. wouldn't know who the fuck that is. <laughs> He's seen uh uh what's his the actor's name? Oh, the the other guy? Yeah, I don't yeah. I, I don't know. I want to say Sebastian Stan, but that's Buffy. It's Se- Sebastian Shaw, isn't it? Yes, Sebastian thank you. Shaw. Yeah. Who is also the head of the Hellfire Club in right. uh, in X-Men. Right. I right. knew it had a right. Marvel connection there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they've been picking at these. I mean, maybe, maybe if we're lucky, they're done now, now that Lucas isn't involved. But yeah, from 1997 to 2011, they just picked and fiddled at these movies and made all these unnecessary changes that if you've ever seen the movie prior to that, you would notice. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's... And I do like uh, John Williams' closing theme that he made. Like, it's very pretty and bittersweet. Yeah. And, but I, I do miss Yubnub. Yeah. I do Yubnub's miss Yubnub. fine. I yeah. love Yubnub. 
you yeah. know, it's it's fine. It's if this is meant to be the conclusion of a saga of movies, yes, perhaps you need something with a little more majesty. As a conclusion to this movie, I'm fine with uh, Ewoks singing. Yeah. Because yeah. those Ewoks are hardcore. They're like cannibals. You know they're all cooking and eating those stormtroopers at that party. Banging on the drums. Yeah. The, the helmets as drums. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what there, what more there is to talk about. I mean, like, it seems like Harrison Ford would rather be doing something else. Yeah. Um, you, you can know. say that about almost everything he did after the <laughs> mid-'80s. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Harrison Ford always like with rare exceptions always after a certain age seemed like he was just kind of checked out yeah yeah he, like he didn't he, age into like being the old man in movies like paul newman did right he just stayed like the gruff lead who didn't want to be there <laughs> in this movie in particular he's just like oh jesus this shit again <laughs> yeah and, and you know that's the biggest failing of this one is it's much like uh last crusade Han and Indiana Jones and that Han in this feels a little more bumbling. Yeah. He's a little bit more of a parody of himself. You're kind of just rolling with it because everything else is it moves at such a clip and you get yeah. so many like I'd say from from a character standpoint, this is the, easily the weakest of the originals in terms of yeah. the characterization of um, like Han, Luke and Leia and R2 and R2 and 3PO to a lesser extent, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean they're they're kind of they're always sort Why of Why did they bring 3PO on their commando raid? <laughs> this character who cannot crouch, who is not camouflaged and cannot shut up. It freaks out at the slightest provocation. Like I'm yeah. get, I guess it's good they brought him cuz he he uh turned out to be a god, but like <laughs> Yeah, why, uh, poor, why him? Poor 3PO. 3PO has been taking emotional abuse from the heroes of Star Wars for, what, 60 years? Like, across yeah. from, like, the prequels to the original trilogy to the sequels? I yeah. hope, since he got most of his memory back after, I hope he just retires to Endor <laughs> and lives as a god. Yeah, I want to see that expanded universe novel. Where he yeah, takes, he takes over the Ewok a benevolent uh, takeover of the Ewoks. Yeah, it just you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's your third Ewok adventure. Yeah, yeah. That's how he defeats the Gorax and those weird like witchy people on the other side of the moon. <laughs> Everyone feels a little more broad, a, a little more shallow. But the set pieces and the pacing are just so propulsive. Yeah. And the world is built out in a way that's, like, cool and colorful but never overwhelming like you get with the prequels. The movie still has the limitations of 1983 special effects. Yeah. I mean, and, and it helps that there's only, like, really three major locations that they have. You know, you have Jabba's Palace and then you have... Endor, and then the de inside the Death Star. You know, it's not like the prequels where they're going to planet to planet to planet to planet to planet. Yeah, or you know? the sequels for that matter. There's no. Yeah, and and these none of the original three movies have like that MacGuffin thing that you start to get with the the sequel trilogy. Like we're on the run. All you know, the first two movies, they're both. It's all the characters are on the run. On the run. Yeah, they're just like they're really flying by the seat of their pants. And then in this one, it is just, you know. We have one shot at stopping this once and for all, and we're going to go for it after the little opening set piece with Jabba. Yeah, yeah. We got to get our friend back, and then it's like, okay, now we're going to take care of all the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's it's it helps, I think, that it is so simple, and I help, it helps also that you don't... I guess we're going to have to talk about Palpatine here to start off our... Oh, well, we got to. Our... We got to talk about <laughs> Sheev. <laughs> we got to talk about the um, true hero of the Skywalker saga. Well, we've got it. So, you know, it helps, I think, that you it, it works in fairy tale logic, these three movies, where it's like the Emperor is evil and he's doing evil things and we've got to get rid of him. And you don't need to, like, get any more. It helps also that he's like the status quo is already established. Yeah. So you don't have to explain a lot. Yeah. Um, so that by the time you get into the Emperor's throne room and that final lightsaber battle, you don't have you don't have a lot of questions that you need that you have if you're, say, doing the backstory or continuing the story. Yeah. Well, you know? it's it's crazy how little 
of Star Wars lore that we all know so well is in these movies. They never talk about the Sith. They never talk... Well, they certainly don't talk about midichlorians. You know, <laughs> there's never the, like, Sith Master and Apprentice. Not everyone's named Darth, for starters. <laughs> like, the the Emperor is just the Emperor. He's... he's right. They mention him in, in A New Hope. He gets... He's got, like, gets one cameo in Empire Strikes Back, and it wasn't in McDiarmid originally. Right. And then he's in this, and he's the Emperor, and he's... Uh, Darth Vader was his apprentice. He's clearly big into the dark side of the force. And he's, you know, he never gets a lightsaber. Nope. And he, you like, he's just like this powerful, evil, conniving old fart. And like, that's all you really need. No, I, I think it is. It's in it. And it's all you need. And I think anything more, especially in this movie, would yeah. have just been like, just stuff. It's fine to um, expand on him in the prequels. That right. makes a ton of sense. But, they they do not bog down the original trilogy with a ton of world building. You no. just get things that are thrown away, throwaway lines, and you just you just like go with it. Like you know, well, yeah. the bounty hunter we ran into on Ord Mantell changed my mind. We right. it doesn't matter what the fuck that is. There's a book about it. Go, not, it's on <laughs> Wikipedia, but you don't need to know it to enjoy yeah. the story. And I love that because. Yeah. It, it also maintains the earnestness of this world. For all three movies do this, where there is just crazy shit going on, and no one bats an eye, because this is just the right. world they live in. Right. Yeah, it, it, it grounds everything. And and a lot of, I'd say most, uh, blockbuster movies that have come from before, after this don't take that lesson to heart and don't sort of take the world building lesson to heart. And they, they will end up at a place and it'll be like, here's this backstory about this place and all the things that you need to know. And then you're on to the next world and here's the backstory of this place and all the things you need to know. And then you're, and you keep like, and yeah. You know? Well, it's also like all these, all the Marvel movies, most Star Trek, DC, I'd say with the exception of Lord of the Rings, they almost always have a different villain in every movie. Right. Like a James Bond movie has a different villain every time. There's yeah. rarely a recurring villain. And like in Star Wars in the original trilogy, you have Darth Vader's your main villain. And then you have another like the 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 puppeteer, the guy behind the scenes is just built up throughout. And then and then it becomes a big deal when they, you know, you're gonna see him. Because you haven't seen him, and you have the characters react in such a way where, like, the Emperor's coming here? Oh, shit, this is bad, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, oh crap. You know, and it, you know, because we've already established Vader is, he's menacing, but he's, he, like, we've already softened him a bit by making him, uh, establishing that he's Luke's father, so we have to build a second character in there and bring right. him in. I mean, I'm sure they always intended to reveal the Emperor. I think he yeah. shows up in the original 1974 script, the one that's right. way different. Right. Uh, I looked him up. Uh, his name was Cause Dashit. <laughs> and he looks like, if you if you look at the comic that they made based on, like, of the Star Wars, of the original right. script, he looks like the Emperor from Dune. He looks like, yeah. like Jose Ferrer, basically. Yeah, well, and so much of that original script was just a lot of like dune fan fiction in a way <laughs> well he did try to get david lynch to direct this movie that's right he did he did <laughs> yeah. didn't he try to also get david cronenberg to direct it too i think i mean it's like that's the thing i, I was lucas is one of those guys that like he wanted to be just an independent filmmaker and right. yeah you got he got too he got so big so fast he always just wanted to like sort of bring other projects to fruition, and that's why you have all the, you know, visual effects companies and the video right. games, and and you know he's produced so much. You know, I think he's. You can never say the guy wasn't enthusiastic. I just don't think he was necessarily the best writer and director for this kind of movie. Like especially in the prequels, it seems like his interest was just somewhere else and not really. Like, it's not that he didn't have passion for the world that he created or or the story that he wanted to tell, but it just seemed like, this is, this is my, and we'll get into it next week, but my feeling is that episode two, Attack of the Clones, was supposed to be something wildly different, and then, but the reception to episode one was so, like, crazy that he, and also 9-11 and the subsequent Iraq war happened, that he 
that I think his his thinking of those other of episode two and episode three just changed on like what he wanted and how he wanted it to to be and how he wanted the story to be told. Like I got the I get the impression from episode one that Jar Jar was supposed to be a huge huge part of those three movies. If you watch any of the behind the scenes stuff for Phantom Menace, he talks about how important Jar Jar will be to like future movies, yeah. and you know it's obviously yeah. like he's. He's pretty upfront about it. He's like about what, like, yeah, I, I, sorry you didn't like Jar Jar. That's what I was going for, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He also it, just it, he didn't have until Revenge of the Sith in the prequels. He didn't have another writer there to kind of right. temper him. Like he has Lawrence Kasdan for Return of the Jedi, and I think that makes a big difference. Well, and yeah, and and he and he had a couple other people along with Kasdan work on Empire Strikes. Yeah, Back he had Lee and, Brackett did a draft yeah. early on, and and so. It, there's also a level of he got he became so successful that he kind of either intentionally or unintentionally surrounded himself with yes men. Yeah. And so no one was pushing back and trying to to be to challenge him on any of his ideas or anything like well, that. Well, it's it's like they're the first movie and the second like Star Wars and Empire and to a lesser extent this are uh real examples of art through adversity. Yeah. He never really yeah. had any limitations after that. It's like the difference between James Cameron trying to make Aliens and James Cameron making Avatar 2, where he can do <laughs> whatever he wants and yeah. has no one saying yeah. no to him. Right, right. And, and I and... I personally like when filmmakers have to get creative because of their limitations. I, Jaws wouldn't be the same without the barrels, you know? That's And that came from the shark didn't work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and and no, and I agree. I mean, I think there's so many, so many things that, uh, particularly in in pop culture, that are happy accidents that are just because people didn't have the time or were just working under incredibly tight deadlines. Yeah, I mean, the Ewoks were originally supposed to be Wookies, and they couldn't get that to work, so they decided, well, instead of making them really tall, we'll make them really small. It's really small. That's yeah. kind of why their name is just Wookie with a syllable moved. <laughs> Hadn't occurred to me. Yep, walkies. <laughs> but yes, the, the 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 reason we're here is for Emperor Palpatine, because we're going to watch the three movies where Emperor Palpatine is at his most Emperor Palpatiniest. Where he's the most wrinkly and cackly and evil. And all of that is because uh, Ian McDiarmid never at any point phoned it in. God bless him. No. And he is just having the time of his life. Uh, He is having so much fun just being this cackling maniac. He's just, I mean, he's not really a maniac, but just he's just having so much fun playing evil. Yeah. And he's chewing the scenery in, in, in a way that is is such the in tone with the movie. he's chewing it but he's very understated until yeah. like kind of the last his last scene like when you first meet him he's this old dude in a robe they d- his design was meant to be like a uh, death from the seventh seal sure and they also uh compared him to the evil queen in snow white when she becomes uh, like a witch right. when she becomes an old crone right and like he comes in He's got that great theme uh, that John Williams gives him. That's like a lot of like it's it's very like creaky and old, yeah. but menacing. Yeah. And he spends most of the movie in the in his throne room, just sitting in a chair. But the voice is perfect. He's just like he's this decaying, disgusting, evil like figure who is unbelievably powerful. Right. And as we've seen. The Star Wars saga across these nine movies is about how Palpatine has plans on plans on backup plans. He's got a backup plan for everything. Yeah. yeah. And the original, if you watch the prequels, the prequels are really the story of how of how this senator or this Sith Lord managed to just play everyone in the entire galaxy right. and take power. Yeah. It's, you know... He's, if you told it more effectively in the prequels, that would be a terrifying story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and more important, like, and corrupted the, the person who was supposed to save the world or save the galaxy from itself. Yeah. And he's so devoted to like power and control and giving into your anger, all these things that, you know, 
represent the dark side of the force. Uh, That, you know, his failing is ultimately he can't conceive of two characters having so much compassion for each other that they can rise above the dark side. Right. That's his undoing. Yeah, yeah, uh, your overconfidence is your weakness, mm-hmm. and he thinks that Luke's weakness is his faith in his friends and his compassion for his father. Which actually ultimately became his biggest strength. Yes. <laughs> Attachment, the thing Jedis are all supposed to get rid of, is what saves the galaxy in the end. So it's kind of horse shit that Luke tells Grogu that he has to choose between the Mandalorian and being a Jedi. Yeah, so... This is this is something that like I can buy Luke becoming disillusioned with everything after he fails. Like I think that would work a lot better if Grogu was his first student and Grogu fucked off on his own. Do you know what I mean? I I mean, look, look I've I, now I, seen No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I I'm with you. I'm with you. We've seen only to, apart from fucking comics and books, I just in on screen in films and series, we've now seen two instances of Luke Skywalker post Return of the Jedi, and he sucks in both of them. <laughs> like, yeah, he kind of rallies at the end of Last Jedi and does the right thing, but it's like every lesson he learned in Return of the everyone else telling him you have to face Vader, you must confront your father, you're gonna have to kill him. Like, Obi-Wan tells him this, Yoda tells him this, uh, the Emperor tells him this, Vader tells him this, and he says, no, you're wrong, I still think there's good in you, and he's right, and it ends up saving his own life and and the galaxy. He's then, like, the moment he uh, has an inkling of doubt about his nephew, he's like, I'm gonna go kill him, I gotta go cut him in half right now. Well, I mean, to be fair, I think the, the, the thing I think that works for me in in last jedi is that he does he does he's like i've got to deal with this right now realizes it's wrong and then by the time he's realized it his nephew has is under the impression that luke's trying to kill him and then and then and luke views that the him wanting to kill his nephew as his greatest failing and that's why he he becomes a hermit but uh, for all of the this is just a a thought for all of the sequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy and the Star Wars standalone movies for all of how much they want us to remember the like visuals and the iconography of the original trilogy there is a real narrative disconnect these three movies do feel so removed like nothing that's set up like like people forget there's a character arc and that there is some character stuff in these movies that should carry into the uh, sequels or be set up in the prequels. It, it's weird how little narrative, uh, how a few narrative lessons filmmakers have taken yeah. and brought to the other Star Wars films. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, you definitely feel that uh, in the prequels. I think distinctly part of that is just because of design things. A lot of the design feels very removed from from. Yeah, the, the and it's also there's change, way. But... Not as many characters in the prequels that carry over right. into the sequel, into the original trilogy. Right. And I mean, and I think the, you know, we'll we'll get to it. But the the biggest problem with the the sequel trilogy, and as much as I like the Last Jedi, I think so much of the sequel trilogy really just needed someone to be like, all right, movie one, here's where everyone needs to end up. Movie two, here's where everyone needs to end up. Like. Here's movie three, or at least like just napkin bullet points. <laughs> yeah, I, I, if you want to, and if you want to replicate the original, uh, the original trilogy, make the first one completely standalone. Right. Like, right. That, the reason I, in my opinion, that the best Star Wars movie is still Star Wars is because you don't need anything else. Right. Yeah, it's sort of pitched as like a chapter in an adventure serial, and there's some stuff left hanging, but you don't really. It's so perfectly contained. Maybe if Force Awakens had felt like, if they truly were like, we've got a show we can make Star Wars again, 
They shouldn't have just... It, it, well, um, well, I mean... J.J. Abrams and his mystery box. We're going to get there. Yeah. We're going to get yeah, there. That's, that's the, We're going to have words. I mean, that's that's the biggest problem, is that he came in and, and, and basically wrote a pilot to a TV series with a bunch of questions that he had no intention... That he either had no answers for or no intention of answering. So yeah. that like and and neither did Ryan Johnson. Well, right, well, so it, well, we're, that, we're like doubly screwed. Well, then what happened know? is that Ryan Johnson, you know, got past the baton, and he's like, I don't know. Most of these questions aren't all that interesting. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> <sighs> I, you bring Wedge Antilles back, and he doesn't even get to fly an X-wing. <laughs> he's firing the guns on the Millennium Falcon. You put him in the gunner's seat. He's Wedge Antilles. <laughs> He's the only rebel pilot to not die <laughs> across three movies. <laughs> See, that's the, those my favorite characters are those uh, B C level characters, and I think that's a thing about the sequels that I feel like they really lack. Yeah, you don't have uh, just like I want to know more about this. Per- I want to know more about Nian Num. I want to know more about Admiral Piet. Yeah, who just wants he just wants to be in, like run the navy. <laughs> He's not like he's just trying not to get choked out, you know. He's like he's one of my favorite characters in Empire because his like yeah. it just like and it almost it's all like just you know reaction shots of him like like his story is all just him going oh geez. <laughs> well, it, though in Empire, the one of my favorite things about Empire is how everyone else in like the Imperial Navy regards Darth Vader. Yeah, <laughs> like that first shot of him walking, everyone's just like. Oh God! There he is again. <laughs> Just try to look busy. <laughs> oh, he brought a bunch of bounty on. What's he doing? Uh, <laughs> please. Oh God! Don't talk to Just, me. Oh, please don't, don't talk to me. Don't, Just, don't look. Don't look. Don't, don't look at him in the eye. He might charge. Oh. And but the but the Admiral Piet stuff is so great because it has the best payoff in in the movie. Is because at the yeah. end when it he's like, oh God, I'm gonna tell him that the guy's escaped, and now I'm gonna get force choked. Vader doesn't, and it is so yeah. awesome. One of the best uh, mo- best featured extra moments in cinema is that one Imperial guy as Vader walks away in that last shot just turns his head a little bit to watch him go. <laughs> Oh, Empire has some of my favorite like wordless character moments oh my God. in in film. The 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 look from Lando to Lobot at the end of the Carbonite sequence yeah. is so perfect cuz it says everything you need to know about these two characters and their relationship. Yeah. Uh, it's like Lando doesn't trust anyone but this dude <laughs> and we love this dude cuz he's like a bald guy with like a computer on his head. <laughs> And we, so we're on board and we also just know Lando's Lando's done with this bullshit yeah. and he's going to do the right thing. Yeah. And then, and also Chewbacca's like reaction after the hyperdrive doesn't work when they finally leave cloud city is the best too. Yeah. It's so just, great. Uh, just, oh, are you kidding me? Oh, <laughs> uh, and no, I mean, and that's and that's one of those things like Empire feels so rich with yeah. those little character yeah. moments that I think if you watch that and then go to Jedi, Jedi doesn't have those. Jedi's a little broader. Jedi doesn't quite have that. It feels a little more bright and flat and it's it's uh you know, Kirshner I think you know was a had a better grip on the material and Richard Marquand uh maybe not so much. I think Lucas was definitely maybe already tightening his grip a bit on the franchise but i also think that's part of just a function of being the conclusion to a story like you know there's only like by the time you get to the concluding chapter of a trilogy like it kind of has the story has to kind of feel like it's on rails you know you kind of yeah, have to thing, you, well, know, you don't you no longer have future chapters there's nothing you can kick down the road right you're gonna like you're gonna run into a wall narratively yeah. yeah so you better know how everything's gonna wrap up or it is just it's gonna completely fall apart that's i mean that's the challenge with every third movie in a trilogy Return of the, that's why Return of the King ends five times is because they have a lot to wrap up and they can't skip any of it because it's all been given like equal weight. Right. Yeah. You've got to you've got to you've got to watch the characters. You got to tie off the emotional bows for everybody because everyone has had their moments. And if you don't, you'll feel unsatisfied. I think that's one of the things people were front when people when Rise of Skywalker came out. 
people were frustrated because a lot of supporting characters got short shrift, you know, but the problem is that they, those characters should never have been there in the first place. They should have just focused on those core three yeah. plus, you know, your old core three right. and stayed with that. It, it, these movies are in across the three original trilogy movies. How many important characters are introduced after a new hope? Is it just Lando? And Yoda, I guess, but like, yeah, yeah, it's just Lando and Yoda, and then like everyone, all the new characters in Return of the Jedi. The most important one is Jabba, who's been refer- referenced a couple times. Yeah, and, and the Emperor, and the Emperor. So those are like the new characters, and uh, they've laid the pipe for anyone important, and any other new characters that come in are just background are just, guys, or or yeah, the Ewoks or exposition, something. yeah, yeah but, or yeah, they're Akbar. Yeah, but like I think, come on, Will, Will, look at me. In Last Jedi. Instead of Holdo, it's Akbar, and he turns that big cruiser around, and like Eddie Redmayne gets on the thing, or not Eddie Redmayne, Domino Gleason's like, What are you trying to surrender? And Akbar doesn't go, This isn't a surrender, it's a trap. And then they're just like, <laughs> Come on, come on, tell me you don't no. want that. No, I do. I do. I mean, like, like I said, I love Last Jedi, but I think the, the, there's, there's bigger, there, it, it, it is an outlier. And that's a problem, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I, it, it's I I I have no problem with it trying to stand it set itself apart and ask some new questions about the franchise. It just it it the 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 it doesn't blend like the the, the right. it's it's like a it's like two different hair colors that yeah. don't blend together. And I mean, I think it genuinely it does work, uh, you know, on the heels of Force Awakens. But again, it just because of the way that the rise of skywalker is constructed it just doesn't work we'll we'll get into it in a couple weeks but um yeah i uh, mean i will take it over rise of skywalker any day i just i have issues with all three of those movies and they're not a and they don't work as a trilogy no well no and that but the the biggest problem with those with the sequel trilogy is that they're trying to the biggest problem not with the sequel trilogy, with Disney Star Wars, is that they are trying to service the perpetual motion blockbuster machine as opposed to trying to tell simple, fun space adventure stories. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like yeah. this is the problem with The Mandalorian, too, is that they just can't get out of their own way of like having their head shoved up their ass in this in the lore and everything and trying to either set up comic books or books or anything like it's just there's that first season of the mandalorian did such a good job of at least just being its own little thing yeah there's a baby yoda there but he's not (laughs) he hasn't met luke we haven't met ahsoka tano we haven't started inserting characters from uh you know the animated shows or from the other movies or series it's just it it you know you get they 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 want to play with all the toys right and and you know, you get to the you know the the back half of Boba F- of the book of Boba Fett, and it's like, well, this is now not about Boba Fett, and is now about the other ancillary bullshit that like is connected to Star Wars. <laughs> book of Boba Fett, <laughs> book of everyone but Boba Fett. <laughs> I watched this with Elise, and I was explaining to her, trying to. She's like, okay, so who did Boba Fett kill? to take over. And I was like, Bib Fortuna. She's like, which one is that? I'm like, that's the guy with the tentacles on his head. And who, and so Jabba dies and he takes over and then Boba Fett, and then she's just like, oh, the pig guys, I remember them. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, is that the rancor he rides? I'm like, no, this rancor is going to die. And oh, the poor rancor keeper. Yeah, actually that's that, you know, we were talking about sort of like, extra background characters in star wars being you know having interesting moments that's a, a like a, a moment that speaks volumes that is never like like yeah addressed or anything and it, it's those really and cool. that's star wars at its best yeah when you yeah. get these interactions with these weird ancillary characters you know the guys in the cantina in the first movie or you know all the rebel different rebel pilots it's it, you know i think i i these movies are so rich, yet the constraints that Lucas had from a technical standpoint kind of kept everything on track. Yeah. And that's the difference between this and our movie next week, Revenge of the Sith, yeah. which is arguably the best movie in that trilogy. Yeah. And yeah. that trilogy, 
does work as a trilogy because it's all the same kind of bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it, 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 they're, they all feel of a piece with each other for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is a, a filmmaker's singular vision. Yeah. It just, the, the problems with it are all story and character or lack thereof. All of it coming at the, you know, all of it serving at the altar of visual effects, too many visual effects, distracting visual effects. Yeah. <laughs> you can see it. You can pick out the special edition stuff in in this movie, especially because yeah. it's all computer stuff that has no, that was like, you can like the 1997 CGI really stuck out for oh, me. Yeah. It's the, uh, you know, like, God, it is like, it, it is so confounding that there's like this musical number in this movie and you're just like, what is this happening? <laughs> yeah. It's, and it, oh my God. And it just, and it looks terrible. Yeah. And then they added like another CG alien at some point. Yeah. I think it's like they added a Sebulba in yeah. the background yeah, and he sticks around. out like a sore thumb because he's not a guy in a suit or a puppet. <laughs> it's and 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 the problem is you know the the world the prequel world just doesn't feel lived in it doesn't have yeah. the weight and the texture alexandra dupont the mysterious uh critic for ain't it cool news always described the prequels as landing strut movies <laughs> yeah yes, because I this. they yeah. show so many of the ships, uh, just ships landing taking and off and landing which is something you didn't have the like couldn't effectively show with the effects of the late 70s and early 80s well and she she described it so perfectly because it's like if you're put transposing that into our world you're basically watching people drive in and out of their driveways <laughs> yeah it's like watching Dr. No when it was just watch. It was a lot. Dr. No is so much shoe leather because it's just watching James Bond, like get through an airport, but you're kind of distracted because he's playing, they're playing the James Bond theme. So it just seems cool. But if you took, if you took the sound away, we like, he's just walking around his hotel room. He's putting his luggage away. Like he's cool. He's well-dressed, but what is going on? And that is, that's the same thing with, uh, I mean, it, it goes to show you, a little John Williams makes Coastal. so much oh, difference. Yeah. And this score is fantastic. It's another criticism I have of the sequel trilogies is that they never give you... There's no music hook I can latch onto that makes me think of those movies the way everything in the original <laughs> trilogy makes me think of that. And, like, Duel of the Fates makes me think of the prequels. Right. I mean, I, I do think that there's something to be said for... Um, Ray's theme I think that's kind of kind of cool but I, I yeah but I mean I, it's I, all I, good but it's like there's nothing that's like I don't go it, there's something like my head can go to the way like I can instantly pick up on like Michael Giacchino's score from the new Star Trek made right. it like gave that gave those movies their own identity yeah I, 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 I can I can see that I can see that but yeah so um next week we're gonna jump ahead to 2005 uh, for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. These are the ones that where they say the episode in the title. Like if you look these up on Wikipedia, it's <laughs> the original movies are just their titles. Right. The sequels, it's it's an indicator of the time they were made. The sequels are Star Wars Episode One, Two, and Three, right. and then the new ones are just Star Wars. Right. The Last Jedi, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Because we don't do numbers anymore. Well, I, I think that was. I, I remember reading, I have no idea if this is true, I, I heard that that was because when Disney bought Lucasfilm, they didn't have the distribution rights yet to the original trilogy. Oh. So okay. they couldn't, like, they didn't, or the original trilogy and the prequels, so they couldn't um, number, the or they didn't want to number the new movies because of... Right, the, like, they're yeah. numbered in the crawl. They're numbered in the crawl, but, but they're not... Uh, yeah. They're not numbered in, in the way that they're marketed. But then, of course... Uh, like within a couple of years of the of the deal uh, of the releasing the sequel trilogy, they they got the distribution rights and then they bought Fox. So <laughs> yeah, they've got everything. They're pretty much the only Lucasfilm thing they don't have is distribution for Indiana Jones. Right, and I think they might, or maybe, now. and maybe Tucker, a man in his dream. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Yeah, that's one thing I will I do like about the sequel, the Disney era, is that they haven't been embarrassed and they haven't made fun of the prequels they've right. taken stuff from the prequel era and they've they've kind of legitimized it in a way that i really like 
it would have been so easy in the like in like Force Awakens to make a joke of like, well, you got to admit it's better than a Gungan or something like that. You know, it's, it's something stupid like that. I mean, I think that's partly because having Dave Filoni as part of like the brain trust of Star Wars, uh, like, you know, the because he's, you know, spent so much time in the thick of the prequel world and yeah, was kind of doing uh, I think Drew McWeeny described it as creative triage on like on the prequels with with Clone Wars. So I think that yeah, totally. I think he's you know he's the one who's kind of probably bringing a lot of that stuff back into into the the main theme. But like you said, like I think there 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 was a, a version. At least my understanding is that there was a lot of like contention between. Uh, J.J. Uh, Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy about the the shape of the Force Awakens and um, and I think there was a lot of stuff that was like oh we're gonna just show getting rid of the prequels and wiping them from the the slate and all that stuff yeah so. and which is like you can just not I'm I God I miss that brief little time you know as like <laughs> 2008 to like 2014 where we just kind of made peace with the prequels and Star Wars was pretty much done. Yeah. And we could yeah. all just get on with our lives and now it's... Oof. Well, and and I, I mean, this is the thing. I think the, you know, the Disney era is... Uh, it, it's it, There's like almost too much Star Wars. And I think that's what they, they kind of realized when they, you know, their original plan of doing a Star Wars movie a year um backfired spectacularly on them so I, I think that you know they realize like oh we can't do that we can't treat star wars like marvel i, I don't know where they go long term but they're gonna go there wherever it is yeah star wars invented a lot of the nonsense that it, not that it, it, it a lot of the nonsense that the blockbuster world has the blockbuster movies have now um so a lot of that stuff that like blockbusters do now and star wars pioneered it doesn't feel as lazy as a lot of blockbuster writing does now do, yeah does that make sense like no i i think it's it's it comes by it a lot more honestly yeah it's you know it's obviously these aren't these films were inspired by other stuff, John Carter of Mars and the uh, Buck Rogers serials, but they did all of it in a new way with new characters. Right. You know, it's, and they kind of lifted from things the way like Tarantino does. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that that's, that's, you know, a perfect example. I mean, when Tarantino was doing press for Kill Bill, he said it like, this is my version of like star wars or indiana jones where it's taking all these different influences and kind of molding them yeah. into, into the thing and yeah i mean it, it's it's a and i think that's also the problem with the disney era too is that even the prequels they all are borrowing stuff from other th other sources it's all you know samurai movies it's you know westerns it's uh you know all this yeah. all this other stuff there's and, inventiveness to the designs right. and they're inspired by things in the prequels right. and in the sequel stuff and the Disney stuff. It's just, look, TIE Fighters. It's Star Wars. Know? It's all, the only thing it's referencing is itself. And, and, yeah. and I think that's, I think. And that kind of robs them of an identity. Right. I, I think so too. And, and, and I, I liked the, the first season of, of The Mandalorian because it kind of felt like it was gun smoke, but in the Star Wars universe. And I was like, this is fun. And then when it started putting in other characters and other things and 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 when Luke Sky CGI Luke Skywalker showed up that's when I completely turned on the series and said fuck this show <laughs> he didn't even have his uh automated voice no yet. no it was he was just mowing yeah down it, it's robots. become like you know stick around because his good buddy Luke Skywalker <laughs> might pop in to wish him luck <laughs> yeah I was it's just like I'm like I don't this is not, I don't need this <laughs> in my life. I mean, and this podcast will probably never get me hired uh, uh, at Lucasfilm, but. <laughs> just... No, I, here's the thing though. We're talking about this out of love. Yeah. It's, it's like, I, I, I don't, I, I don't begrudge people that like the parts of Star Wars that we don't like. And I don't begrudge anyone. Say if you're new to, if you're, if you're, five years old or 10 years old and you're watching all this stuff that comes out on Disney plus you don't have the context that we do. Right, so right. some people must will probably adore it. And they're just, they're given them more of what they want. I, 
I would love to work on Star Wars. I would love to bring, uh, you know, I, I welcome any new voice to Star Wars. My problem is I don't think that those voices are coming through. Yeah. No, I mean, and it just, it just, it just feels like it's just the demands of a major multi-million dollar company. <laughs> it's, it's like the prequels have a voice. It's a weird, crazy, disjointed voice, but they feel like you can look at those movies and think, oh, those are George Lucas's prequel trilogy. I can pull out things from all three prequel movies that I like, um, you know, maybe on one, I can count things on they, one hand, they, but they are... <laughs> They are possibly the most unwatchable movies I'm still slightly fond of. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, oh, the prequels. Oh, I remember them coming out. It's like, do you want to watch them? No. And, watch well, them. and sometimes I'll get a wild hair up my butt and I'll watch one. Uh, it does happen. I, I've, I've tried, but I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like ambient. Oh, they're like, they're. That's the crazy thing is I think objectively they're not better than what's coming out now, but they feel more unique and distinct and weird. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot more to, to unpack in them um, yeah. than than there is now. It's, it's The prequel movies are just, my reaction to them is just that gif of Ryan Reynolds from uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> just, but why? <laughs> there are so many weird creative choices in in those movies that just you're just like what why is what is happening <laughs> uh anyway we'll get there next week we will so but until then folks thank you for uh for, for joining us on this journey through the palpatine trilogy uh you can find us on twitter and instagram at podcast part three we are available for to subscribe on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify. And you can find us next week with Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith from 2005. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, folks, have a great night. Adios. Adios.